0: At the exact same time that the president was giving the Medal of Freedom to a former German chancellor, almost 1,700 miles away, there were bombs, bullets, and bedlam. Find out what news story truly shocked the nation on this episode of Top Fold. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Hefley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because That spot was already taken. Helmut Kohl received many awards throughout his lifetime, but declared that receiving the Medal of Freedom from President Bill Clinton was his most cherished. On the day of the ceremony, the White House staff buzzed about what a positive news cycle the ceremony would inspire. After the presentation, there would be a private lunch and plans for more photo opportunities with the two world leaders. From 1982 to 1998, first as West German Chancellor and then as chancellor over a unified Germany. Helmut Kohl was the longest-serving German leader since Otto von Bismarck 100 years earlier. Kohl led a unique life from a very early age. In 1945, at age 15, Nazi law mandated he join the Hitler Youth. Being the last days of World War II, he wasn't enlisted, but witnessed firsthand a defeated and divided Germany. Following his desire to improve his country's conditions, he joined the newly formed CDU, or Christian Democratic Union of Germany, and quickly moved up the political ranks thanks to his determination and charm. Advocating for social programs, modernization, and reconciliation with the other European countries for the next two decades, he eventually became the leader of the CDU in 1973. Less than ten years later, he became chancellor of West Germany. As chancellor, he was a trailblazer, reconciling West Germany with his former adversaries. Chancellor Kohl became close friends with French President Mitterrand. In 1984, they met at the sacred grounds of the Battle of Verdun, where France and Germany had fought for almost a year in World War I. With cameras flashing everywhere, the two shook hands, fostering a French and German reconciliation. In 1985, while President Ronald Reagan visited West Germany, Chancellor Kohl and the President observed VE, or Victory in Europe Day, and solemnly toured a Holocaust concentration camp. In 1987, Kohl hosted East German leader, Erich Honecker, for the first time. In 1990, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, he became the official chancellor of a unified Germany and later the principal architect in creating the European Union. With these milestones, it was easy for President Clinton to declare at the medal ceremony. Today, we honor a partnership dedicated to extending the boundaries of freedom and a leader whose values and vision made it possible. We mark our progress towards realizing what was once only a dream, a Europe that is peaceful, undivided, and free. Very few non-Americans and even fewer foreign leaders had ever received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It had been eight years since the last ceremony when President Bush bestowed it to the former British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. Clinton gave a moving, heartfelt speech, not only describing Cole's upbringing and desire for change, but also spoke about the freedom and determination that led Germany to be a beacon for the rest of Europe. When it was Kohl's turn to speak, he didn't disappoint. He, too, gave a great speech, embracing the ties between the two countries and his affection for the United States, freedom, and democracy. This was a monumental day. Following the speeches from each leader, there was a private dinner in the White House. This came just three days before the other leaders of NATO countries would gather in Washington, D.C. for only the second time in the United States and mark the 50th anniversary of NATO's inception. The next three days were going to be filled with celebrations and ceremonies. However, those festivities never happened. The gatherings that did take place were smaller and didn't include President Clinton. Why? What had happened that immediately changed the president's plans and turned the nation's attention from a celebratory mood to somber and even rage? What could have taken the celebrated former leader of Germany, his medal, and the 50th anniversary of NATO from headlines and front pages? A mere minutes before President Clinton started his speech, 1.25 on the East Coast, 11.25 Mountain Time, a 911 call came from Patty Nielsen that would shock the nation and the world. While hiding with glass shrapnel embedded in her body and having been grazed by a bullet, she said the school is in a panic, letting the 911 dispatcher and the world know that Columbine High School was under attack, not by outsiders, but by two of its own students. For the next horrific 43 minutes, 18-year-old Eric Harris and 17-year-old Dylan Klebold, dressed in all black and wearing heavy trench coats, wreaked havoc, fear, and death on the Colorado school. On April twentieth, nineteen 1999, Littleton, Colorado and the entire United States would never view school safety the same way again. That's right. At the same time that President Clinton was given accolades to the former German chancellor, two stone-cold killers were using a semi-automatic pistol, bombs, a semi-automatic rifle, and two shotguns to kill and wound as many students as possible. The way we looked at guns, video games... Early warning signs, clicks, school security, and hostage rescue would change forever. Harris and Klebold originally planned to bomb the school. Ninety-nine bombs, most undetonated, were located after the ordeal was over. They had planted them in different parts of the building, across town as a diversion, in their cars, and on the school grounds. Two of the bombs, which were in duffel bags and placed among the roughly 400 backpacks in the school cafeteria, had been set to explode during the lunch hour when the most students would be eating, causing the maximum carnage. Harris and Klebold were waiting outside, planning to shoot anyone who might have escaped the explosion. Once they realized their homemade bombs didn't detonate, they took matters into their own hands and started the killing spree. Initially, when students heard gunshots outside the building, they thought it was a senior prank. By the time the students realized it was real, the gunshots were much closer, and it was too late. After shooting multiple students outside, Harris and Klebold entered the building. After unsuccessfully trying to ignite the bombs with bullets in the cafeteria, they abandoned their initial plan and methodically went from room to room, shooting anyone in sight. There are multiple stories about how they would talk to the students before and after they shot them. Some testified later that Harris said "Peekaboo" and called out athletes and minority students. Laughing while they went from room to room and floor to floor, tossing bombs and shooting everyone in sight, they had full reign over the entire building. Although law enforcement was on location within five minutes of the first shots, it would be almost 40 minutes before they went inside. Finally, at 12.08, in the library on the second floor, where the majority of the students had been killed, Harris and Klebold sat down, counted to three, and committed suicide. Since this wasn't known for hours... SWAT teams would slowly enter the school, moving from one room to another, trying to help fleeing students and find the killers. Because no one knew exactly how many shooters there were or who was involved, hundreds of students were ordered to lie on the ground and were frisked multiple times before being allowed to go outside. Although the carnage stopped just after the noon hour, it was three and a half hours later before the police entered the library discovering the dead students, including Harris and Klebold. At 4.30 local time, 6.30 Eastern Time, the school was declared safe. President Clinton gave a news conference that evening, and the nation was watching. The president's words were sincere and somber and emphasized the importance of letting the families of Columbine heal before discussing the reasons for the tragedy. He said the nation should focus on the families who lost their kids, the children who were wounded, and on the grieving community, allowing the facts to emerge, and then he would have more to say. Many who were shocked by the tragedy were quick to blame outside influences. Some said the killers had been bullied and were taking revenge. Others speculated that they had been fascinated by goth culture. Video games and music from the likes of Marilyn Manson were brought to the forefront as possible reasons for the violence. Gun laws, loopholes, and easy access to weapons were easy fodder for politicians to highlight. None of these theories were proven as a motive for this horrific event. Sadly, this massacre had been in the plans for almost a year. Almost six months before the shooting, Harris convinced an 18-year-old friend to buy the weapons that would be used on that horrific day. They openly talked about each weapon they acquired and videoed themselves multiple times target shooting with dialogue about how this was going to happen in the school. Harris had created an online profile under the name Reb, short for Rebels, the school mascot, and mentioned his desire to kill classmates some by name. This was reported to the police, but was not followed up on. He stopped writing publicly and started a journal, and when authorities found it later, they couldn't believe what they saw. Months of elaborate details about gathering weapons, practice shootings, and documenting students' movements around the school. Harris fantasized about placing bombs in Littleton and Denver and declared if they survived Judgment Day, what he called the upcoming slaughter, they should hijack a plane and crash it into New York City. There were warning signs, lots of them. Their choice of homework would relate to shooting up the school. Harris turned in an assignment titled Guns in School and a poem from the perspective of a bullet when it would tear through students' flesh. In psychology class, Harris wrote he dreamed of going on a shooting spree with Klebold. They made a commercial for their economics class called Hit Men for Hire about a so-called trench coat mafia who would protect students from bullies. Almost like a dress rehearsal, they filmed themselves after school with prop guns walking down the halls of Columbine shooting into the classrooms. The previous year, Klebold wrote in Harris's 1998 yearbook, Killing enemies, blowing up stuff, killing cops. My wrath for January's incident will be godlike, not to mention our revenge in the commons. The commons was the cafeteria. Back in Washington, D.C., the Medal of Freedom Ceremony and Chancellor Cole were quickly forgotten. The NATO summit still went on, but in addition to the topics of violence and ethnic cleansing in Yugoslavia, the shadow of violence in schools was on everyone's minds. There had been school shootings before, but nothing like this. With over 20 wounded and 15 dead, including the killers, this truly shocked the nation. Afterwards, many schools enacted zero-tolerance rules in regards to disruptive behavior or threats of violence, and added metal detectors and active shooter drills. Two weeks after the shootings, with their backpacks and belongings still behind police tape back at Columbine, the students gathered for class at their rival school, Chatfield High School. On that day, and for the rest of the year, both schools were family. Helmut Cole lived out the rest of his life pretty much away from politics. As an elder statesman, he tried to avoid day-to-day political conflicts. Sometimes, though, he couldn't help himself and gave candid interviews not holding back his opinion, even when it conflicted with the current German government stances. Cole passed away on June 16, 2017. The European Parliament held its first-ever act of state in Strasbourg, France, honoring his life. Current and former European heads of state, along with leaders from all over the world, attended. Cole's dear friend, former President Bill Clinton, was the keynote speaker at the ceremony. At Columbine High School, the school library was removed and replaced with an atrium. In 2001, a new library, the Hope Memorial Library, was built. Less than a half a mile from the school, a permanent memorial to honor and remember the victims was dedicated on September 21, 2007, in Clement Park. Many Americans never knew that the former German Chancellor, Helmut Kohl, had even been awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. What was to be a highlight for President Clinton... Chancellor Cole and an upcoming NATO celebration was tragically overshadowed. Instead, all eyes focused on two stone-cold killers whose Columbine rampage forever changed the way we looked at the safety of America's schoolchildren. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Podcast, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it all the news that would have been